Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke, and it's not about food podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of expression and recovery. And the body love card shows that goddess is sort of dancing, you know, and she's expressing herself in a dance way. And her little deer is also doing that. And expression can mean so many things, especially around disordered eating and body hatred. But what we're going to be talking about is the idea of how important that is as we're going along trying to recover from our disorder. Of it, It's so important that we find out how have we been expressing ourselves and how do we want to. I felt like I put a lot of pressure on my body to do my expressing for me. So, for instance, if I was really thin, that expressed that I was a perfect girl (laughs) or a a beautiful woman. And if I was over my natural weight, then that expressed that I was closed for business. I didn't want any people around me. I was shut down and I had a big buffer around me. I didn't really realize that at that time. So the card says expressing our feelings in ourselves is the only way to live our truth in our bodies, hearts, and souls. Many times we have been taught that to express our feelings is harmful to others and ourselves. But if we learn how to express our feelings honestly and constructively, it is beneficial to everyone. And I find that in the culture that we all sort of live in, we're all worried about hurting other people's feelings at our own detriment. So if I need to put down a boundary or I need to have a talk with somebody, I always felt like they were just going to explode, <laughs> that I was going to kill them. <laughs> so I learned to just shut up and put it deep inside. And then my body would sort of represent that. And it wasn't fair of me to make my body hold all of my expression, (laughs) all of my communication. That really was my job to do for myself. And I had to learn how to do that. I didn't grow up with people expressing their truth. You know, I had people that expressed what they thought they were supposed to express. So, and then I learned the same thing. This is such a huge issue Again, especially for we that live in this sort of Western culture, but also that there's two ways to be like you can just eat it and just shut up and just deal with it yourself, whatever it is, or you can blast everybody around you. (laughs) And the middle part was the part I had to learn 
on how to just have my feelings and have my truth and then learn how to express it that didn't hurt me or didn't hurt others. So I am so, so happy to have Mackenzie here today, all the way from England. And uh, I just love that she's here and I've known her for a long, long time. We've known each other for, I don't know, was that like 15 years ago, maybe? Yes. Yeah. And she has just blossomed into this just fabulous person. So, (laughs) you know, she's a good example of expressing your feelings and your truth and doing it in a way that helps mankind, womankind. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So I'm happy to have her on the show today. And I'll let her just sort of tell us what she's doing, what up with her. What's her deal? (laughs) Thank you so much. I have to say I'm so moved by what you just shared. And I'll start with how I felt when I got this card. Okay. So, (laughs) So when I picked out this card and I chose it randomly... I was quite delighted by it because (laughs) I think that this has been a journey that I have been on since the very beginning. And it's definitely a journey that I will be on until the very end. And when I was thinking about this card, the intention of self-expression, and I was considering what it means to me, what showed up for me is that it means less about me actually expressing myself in the world. And it means more to me about loving and accepting myself. Oh, yes, of course. Beautiful. My experience was that I spent so many years of my life feeling that I was wrong. And when I was considering today what we were going to talk about and how I felt about this card, I started thinking about the feeling of being wrong. And I realized that actually every time in my childhood and in my adolescence and in my 20s and in my 30s, (laughs) um, when I didn't have a positive emotion, when I had an emotion of fear, I felt wrong. When I experienced emotion of stress, I felt wrong. When I looked in the mirror and I didn't love what I saw, I felt wrong. Every time I came up against a feeling that wasn't positive and joyful, I had this moment of feeling wrong. And that kept me from being able to express my truth. Yes, of course. Of course. If you're wrong, you want to not say anything. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because then you're more wrong. Because then you're more wrong. Right. The second you say something and it just, or I say something, it perpetuated itself. Exactly. All of a sudden I was flooded by these negative emotions. And then as a result, I continued to be wrong. And when you mentioned the fact that people struggle to express their truth, it reminded me of a moment. I must've been maybe five or six years old. And I was at a dinner party. So I'm an only child. I was at a dinner party and my parents were sitting around the dinner. They were hosting it and they had all of their friends there. And I wasn't really engaged in what was going on. Instead, I was observing the adults in the room. Right. Wow. And, And as I observed these adults in the room, it dawned on me that none of them were telling the truth right? That all of them were acting in some way, shape or form. Those two people 
didn't really like each other all that much, but they were smiling and pretending like they were getting on. And that person was annoyed with that other person, except that they weren't saying anything about it. And all of a sudden I recognized and realized that I was surrounded by a group of people who weren't being honest and who weren't really expressing themselves. And that actually that was just a little microcosm that mirrored my school environment, my social environment. Somehow we had all come to an agreement that we were not going to be honest with each other about how we felt. And I didn't know that that agreement had been made only through experience. Did I realize that was the game that I had to play? It's a rude awakening, isn't it? (laughs) We think something for a long time and then sort of the scales fall off of our eyes and we're like, whoa. And then the choice and I have to be like that in order to live okay where I am. I have to play that game. And, you know, especially if you have a eating disorder or body hatred or, you know, something that would be deemed different, you have to really hide that because that's not going to go here. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to hear it. No. <laughs> Agreed. And yeah. I didn't want to hear it for myself as well. Well, exactly. Denial is a beautiful place. I mean, I just pushed it down because what to do? There's nothing to do. There's nothing. They can't help themselves, obviously. I remember thinking, looking at the adults around me like, these people are crazy and I need to get with the program (laughs) because I don't have enough money to live on my own. I'm only eight. (laughs) I don't have a car. I have nothing. (laughs) Anyway. And then when I fast forward to having an eating disorder and that experience, I'm sure it was fueled by many different things. But one of the things that it perpetuated was this feeling of being wrong. I remember at some point I adopted a belief system whereby I said to myself, I must be broken or I can't take care of myself or there's something wrong with me in some way. And I remember walking in to your rooms in the women's group that I attended. And for the first time being almost like hit by a wave of appreciation and acceptance and acknowledgement that I wasn't wrong, that I had learned a way of navigating my life dealing with my emotions, grappling with my challenges, feeling my feelings. I learned a way of trying to manage that, that then turned out to be very unmanageable and very unhelpful (laughs) in the long run. Yeah. But at the time, it was all you knew how to do. And, you know, the part of recovery that is compassion for, wow, I really was, like you said, grappling with something so much bigger than me that this was the best I could do with what I had. Other kids maybe kill themselves or start taking drugs at a very young age or run away from home. I mean, millions of things. But this is what I sort of came up with. I'm sorry that I had to go there, but I'm pleased I saved my life. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I knew in the midst of all of it that I loved myself. Yeah. 
enough to survive. Yeah. I knew I loved myself. I knew I loved my family. I knew I wanted to live this life. And I had hope. I had hope within me. I would learn how to live in a different way in the world. I would learn how to navigate my emotions differently. I would learn how to one day express myself and not be fearful of the repercussions. And it's it's interesting because I would imagine people would be curious about who was the person in your life who said you couldn't express your emotions. I don't recollect there ever was a person. My family was very encouraging, but somewhere there was a message, whether or not it came from me, whether or not it came out from outside of me that told me that I stayed quiet. And if I stayed insular, if I observed and didn't get involved (laughs) if I was nice and if I kept what could be perceived as any type of resistance conflict or difficult emotions to myself in relationship to other people not so much my family I had a lot of conversations that had a lot of self-expression in them but when it came to anyone outside of my very immediate family I kept everything to myself because I was afraid of the impact on me. I was afraid of the repercussions and I was afraid of being told that I was wrong because I already felt wrong in some way. Well, I love that you just said that because I feel this is just my theory or this my feeling that we come into this life feeling pretty much okay with ourselves. You know, we're not like in the bassinet looking down at our thighs and going, oh, my God, look at these rolls. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're OK. We're OK with our bodies. We're OK with our little self. You know, we're not on a let's get this sh- together program. <laughs> you know, But what happens is, you know, we swim in a fishbowl that other people we get told maybe in a roundabout way, that we're not okay somehow. And children are very observant and very intuitive, and their brains are wide open. That's why they can be a princess and an astronaut and a nurse and a mommy all at the same time because they're in the imagination. So we just put all of this on ourselves. And I've had clients who were young and I've talked to their parents and they've said, we don't know why our child has an eating disorder. We've never, ever said a word about her body. We love her so much. We named her Athena. (laughs) We're like, you can do it, girl. And we don't know. And I said, well, do you keep her in saran wrap in the closet? I mean, does she go outside? Does she watch TV? Does she go to school? (laughs) She's getting it. You know, we're not that kind in the cultures that we come from. How would she feel any other way? And like you, she had a respite in her home, but it wasn't always like that outside of her. So how did you navigate that? How did you take care of yourself about that? It was a journey. I think that's the easiest way (laughs) and the simplest way to describe it. Okay. It was... A journey like the one that I remember you shared with me, 
it's like a spiral mountain mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. right? that has, you go yes. down and you go up and you go down and you go up and you're always going up. You're always moving up the mountain, but there are so many points at which it feels like you are going down. For me, if I share the most pivotal moments in time that I can remember that made the greatest change, the first was being introduced to you. Oh, so sweet. Thank you. Well, thank you because it's wholeheartedly (laughs) one of the most instrumental moments. When I was able to see a reflection back at me that said, you're great girl. No worries. We've been here before. It's happened to us. Look where we are. That's like number one. Number two is there's nothing wrong with you. You are capable and whole. You have all of the answers. The way that you're taking care of yourself right now used to kind of work. It really doesn't work now. Now the repercussions of it are so much greater than how it was initially helping the situation. So let's not be disappointed about that. Let's appreciate that it showed up for a reason and let's consider how we can take care of you differently. But it starts with you. You're the one who gets to decide how you want to take care of yourself. And before we even talk about how you're going to eat and all of that stuff, we're going to talk about who you are and what's important to you and what you love and what fills you up with joy and light. And then we'll get around to the food. Then we'll get around to that stuff. But that's like, we're going to focus on the person, not the quote unquote problem. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call the bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. That's right. You're not a problem to be fixed. You're a person that's discovering herself or himself. Exactly. So that was huge for me. There were other stages along the way. Someone uh, that I hold very dear to my heart taught me how he ate food, like taught me his relationship to food. (laughs) That was really healthy. And so I explored what it would be like to have and adopt a relationship like that to food. I spent a lot of time and effort surrounding myself with people who reflected back how I wanted to be in the world. And then I got into work supporting young people. I remember during the time that I was at your women's group, there was one moment where one evening it must have been, I had been journaling. And in fact, in front of me right now are about six of the journals that I used to write in because I will never get rid of them. But in, after writing in a journal, I got down on my knees and I prayed. And my prayer was, if I can overcome this, I will dedicate my life in some way, shape or form to being of service to other individuals who find themselves in this challenge that I'm experiencing. And so my way into that was 
to support young people and to do mentoring and coaching with them because I knew that as wonderful as I'm sure some of the therapists and psychiatrists were that I saw over the years, actually the people who helped me the most were people like you who were my coaches, who like spearheaded me, who championed me and who saw me through a lens of whole, not broken. And I wanted to be that for other young people. So beautiful. And then you did it. And then you did it. And in a beautiful way, no matter where you lived or what you did, you did it. And I think it's really funny about getting together with a a natural eater, if you will, and kind of following them. Like, I don't know how to change my oil in my car, but if I have a mechanic that'll show me and walk me through it, I'll probably know how or change a tire, something like that. And it was exactly like that. I had a friend who I felt was a normal eater, whatever. And I would say, so how do you know that you want a sandwich? And how do you know that you're done? You've got like four chips left and you're not going to eat them? (laughs) How do you know? I just didn't know. I had eaten so crazy for a long time, always on some kind of weird diet or and or eating everything, binging, that I didn't have any navigation of this is what normal eating looks like. I just felt like I could never do that. Like that's for other people and kids. But he (laughs) taught me you feel it here or you just know. And I just started to eat like him. And I worked with him and he'd say, I'm going to lunch. And I'd go, I'm going with you. (laughs) I'm going to watch you the whole time. And he was okay with it. He knew what my struggle was. So I love that. You know, you had help. I had help. Mm -hmm. And I think for people who are looking for help, I have to say, I sought a lot of help. And I'll say not a lot of the help helped, but a little of the help helped a lot. And so there were times when I got incredibly discouraged by the fact that I was seeing the expert in this field, or I was reading this particular book and I wasn't getting the change that I wanted. I remember telling a friend of mine recently who is reaching out to therapists for their son that one of the most valuable things that I was given was choice around who could help me. When the choice was taken away and I was made to see someone, definitely found that I had resistance. And in the few times when I really felt like I could choose and I really felt like I could express whether or not this was the person to help me or not, or this was the group to help me, or this was the book to help me. There was so much more ownership and agency and accountability that I associated with that. So that was a really big lesson for me that I would have to wade through lots of different forms of help. I was lucky enough or, you know, I'm grateful enough to have been able to wade through so many forms of help. And that actually at the end of the day, because I wasn't so sick that somebody needed to choose for me, I needed to choose for myself. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful place to be. Some people don't get help until they're so far gone that they don't really have any idea 
you know, I know that some people with disordered eating have no idea if they're hungry. They don't have any idea if they're full. They have no idea what their body would like. They have no idea how their body feels at a certain weight and how it feels at a different weight or, you know, we just cut off from the neck down so much. And we have to learn how to have this little earth suit that we, you know, how to take care of that suit. Mm-hmm. Tell me, so I know that your work is now telling others this beautiful thing that you just told me. And how is it received? Yes. So my work is 100% focused on training educators. So in a school environment, whether or not it's kindergarten or nursery, depending upon what country you're in and what you call it, through to middle school and high school or secondary school, training teachers in coaching skills, but in communication skills, in ways of connecting and supporting and empowering young people. And it came from my own personal need and desire to have had an educator when I was younger that I felt deeply connected to. I mean, I was the girl in the back of science class doing leg lifts that (laughs) no one noticed. Or if they did, no one addressed it. Or they thought it was a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe they thought it was a good idea. They're like, well, it's working for her. Yeah. She's getting she straight A's and she's homecoming queen. So everything right. must be totally kosher. Right. When it wasn't at all. Um, so, so when we go into schools, we train them in seeing students through a lens of capable and whole. empowering students to think and reflect deeply about who they are and what's important to them and what their values are, perceiving themselves not as broken, but then also all of these skills and tools, not only being given to the teachers to use with the students, but being given to the teachers to use for themselves and with each other. It's very hard to teach what you do not have already inside And I've learned over the years that this is a good example. We just went into a school recently with the peer educators who are young girls and uh, young women. And uh, we got there a little early, so we kind of hung around at the end of a class until the next class came. And the teacher was giving these in an eating disorder class she was or what are eating disorders and what's body disturbance and what is this about she was telling them that if they look at their fist and they eat that much food they'll be okay and not have an eating disorder oh dear and so (laughs) i was like so the class ended and they all left we went and so i just said i just have to tell you (laughs) These diet aids, that's a diet aid, they are not helpful. These women, these young women and these young men, they are expert dieters, you know, unless they're a normal eater. But if they have any kind of bad body vibe at all, they are a professional eater. They've already heard that and they will take that to their death, that fist thing. (laughs) Don't please drop that out. Just don't even say something like that. It's not helpful. It's not going to be helpful. Then they're going to think, well, should I only eat a fist worth once a day, every other day, every hour of the day? 
you know, it's not going to be held in the way that you're trying to be helpful. So I love that you're talking to teachers about that. And I love that they're open to that. So open, so incredibly open because it's such a helping profession. Like when I think about educators, I mean, it is a helping profession. I once heard a quote by uh, Nicholas Ferroni (laughs) that said that teachers are the only people that lose sleep over other people's kids. Oh, so sweet. Yes. And it's true that so many teachers, they never stop being in the classroom, even when they're not in the classroom, that they carry the weight of their students wherever they go. And in this day and age, especially because of the pandemic, the stress levels, the anxiety, the self-harming that students and that young people are experiencing has spiked. And now teachers more than ever before, and they've had to do this for decades, not only need to teach, not only need to be educators, not only need to impart wisdom, but they also have to play a, in the UK, we call it a pastoral role. This pastoral role of caring for students in a way that they've always had to care for them, but in a way that's quite exacerbated. Because of all of the challenges that students are facing, they need to be equipped to be able to have these conversations with young people about really difficult things and conversations with parents about really difficult things and supporting young people to be able to gain greater clarity about what's the direction that they want to travel in their life. Who are they? How can they make decisions for themselves? There isn't just one route anymore. It isn't just about taking the next step and the next step and the next step down previously determined road. There's so many different options and so many different ways of living in this world and of self-expression. How do you help someone gain the skills and the tools to be able to make a decision today for themselves and tomorrow for themselves and the next day and the next day. That's right. And it's sort of like what we've done to the medical profession too, nurses and doctors is we've laid so much on them. Okay, you take care of all of this and we'll just try to deal with our little lives outside. But nurses have to be end of life therapists and talk to the family and same way with teachers. They have to know mental health. They have to know they have to be a nurse if somebody hurts themselves. You know, it's just a lot we're asking these beautiful people to do. Oh, so much. <laughs> and then and then they need to take care of themselves yeah. on top of that and That's take right. care of each other and their families and their friends. Yes. And the way that we connect and communicate with each other has a very big impact on our well-being. And that was the experience that I received over the years of my own healing was the way that I connect with myself and communicate with myself and the way that other people connected and communicated with me and so on made the biggest impact. And that's where you showed up in my life. Your connection and your communication with me enabled me to connect and communicate differently than I ever had before or than I had for however long prior. Well, I think that 
a lot of times people say, I don't know if I would have gotten well if I hadn't come in to be on hunger. And I think, yeah, you would have. It might take a little bit longer, but you would have come to these because these are truths that you took to your heart and it was already there, just matched. It just matched. And it's sort of like, you know, somebody told me when I was drinking, maybe you shouldn't drink a gallon of wine a day. And that's not something that I didn't already know. <laughs> so it kind of went, okay, then that might be true. Okay, I'll check it out. Thanks for the advice. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe not that day, but very quickly after that, I thought to myself, this might be the problem. <laughs> Gallon of wine a day. Anyway. So I'm wondering if you will read the just for today part of the card. Today, I will experiment with different ways to express my feelings when they come up. I will let myself cry, laugh, get angry, excited, or have any other feelings that arise. And I will experiment with constructive ways to express them, such as writing, drawing, walking, talking, breathing, or other ways that work for me. <laughs> and writing in journals that you still keep this many years yeah. later, it's a beautiful thing. It feels like that's a book, you know, that's a book that you need to write sometime, not need to, there but is a book. you might think about it. There definitely is. Well, yeah. and this last bit is really powerful because it's still, I don't want to say a work in progress, but I can't come up with a better way of phrasing it right now. It's still something that I work on daily with the constant affirmation that I'm not wrong. And as a result, that I'm right, that I'm me. I think that's the bit that I'm me. And then that's, that's great. And that's good enough. And I don't have to be different than that. And that will be a lifelong journey for sure. Well, I agree with you. And I think I naively thought once I have this eating disorder thing figured out, then I'll be happy and I won't, I won't have to struggle with anything. Well, only if I had died right that day. <laughs> Would that have been true? <laughs> there was still things to learn <laughs> and to deal with and to get through and to figure out. It's just, it's the way. I mean, who saw the pandemic coming? Not me. Who saw that? No, there has been a lot of things in the last few years that I was very surprised about that I would have never thought. So I think that's the way it is. And how do we get through it? Still expressing ourselves, still being on our own side, still loving ourselves unconditionally, still having an open heart and an open hand for others, of course. How do we do that? How do we navigate that? We just do, you know, it's not over till we leave. It's still working. So anyway, I'm so, so happy to have you on the show. And before we go, there's just one more little thing to think about is that you do have a soapbox here. You can talk to a lot of people at one time. And I wonder if there's anything that you want to put out into the world about what you're doing and what you're thinking and just about what's happening. So tell me sort of like, how do you think about what you're doing with your life and your mm -hmm. teaching and learning and Okay. Thank you for that invitation. 
The one thing I would love to share is before we go is a concept that we call the three truths of coaching, which we also refer to as the coaching mindset. The three truths of coaching are really the fundamental beliefs that a coach would hold when in conversation with someone else, if they were taking a coaching approach. And it starts with the foundation and a belief system that the other person is capable and whole. And I remember walking into the Beyond Hunger rooms and feeling immediately that I was seen as being capable and whole. And whole doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that there isn't room for growth and development, but it means that I'm not broken. It means that I'm a, a whole human. In addition to that truth is the belief that as a result, when you see other people as being capable and whole, you see them as having the answers. And then in order to be able to facilitate those answers, you ask questions and you don't give advice. So the coach's role is to ask, not tell. The coachee has all the answers and the coachee is capable and whole are the three truths. And they, for me, were incredibly inspired by my journey. And similarly with my business partner and co-founder, Quinn Simpson. And I am forever grateful to you for helping me find those three truths and sharing those three truths with others. Oh, I just love it. And just to be really clear, the three truths are... One. The coach is capable and whole. Okay. The coach E has all the answers. Okay. And the coach's role is to ask and not tell. If only we could do that <laughs> constantly <laughs> with everyone. For ourselves and for others. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a process. It's a it's process. It's a process. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank and you. we'll see you in the rooms. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs>